Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. If you were here last week, um, you know that um, I did not finish the sermon last week. So this is part B of uh, part A. And and so I I try not to do that on Sunday mornings just because, I don't know, it's it can be a little distracting, uh, I think, as now uh, this morning, the first part uh, of the sermon is going to be kind of a little bit of review from last week, uh, because I'm sure that there were some people, in fact, I know there are some people here this morning that were not here last week. So <clears throat> anyway, I'm sorry about that. I just, I can't talk fast enough to do all of this in one sermon. So, and even if I could, you wouldn't be able to understand it. So it wouldn't have done any good. But uh, anyway, looking forward to what the Lord has for us this morning. We were looking, uh, well, the the, the title of the the sermon is uh, Learning How to Test. Learning How to Test. And um, we we were talking last week about Abraham and and God, when God told Abraham to uh, take his son Isaac uh, to, to the mountain and sacrifice him. And I don't know of another story in Scripture that demonstrates the level of faith as that story does. And <clears throat> we talked last week about the fact that if you are saved this morning, if you know the Lord is your Savior, then you have automatically been enrolled in the school of faith. <laughs> now, most of us, at times, do not like going to that school, and if you you know what I mean, uh, because uh, when you in, when you are automatically enrolled in the school of faith, that means that there are tests that come down the road, and it's those tests that that strengthen us, that 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 sustain us. Well, these tests come in two in in two parts. First ones we call temptations. In James chapter one. Uh, verses 13 to 15, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempt he any man, <clears throat> but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when, this, when, his, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The second form comes in trials. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, wherein ye greatly rejoice, uh, though now for a season, if need be, ye have, uh, excuse me, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being more precious than gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at Genesis chapter 22 in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and say unto him, Abraham, and he said unto him, uh, uh, and said, Behold, here am I. Now, we just read. In James chapter 1, that, well, let me go back and read it. You, can you pull up James chapter 1 again, uh, Chris? I appreciate it. Uh, it says, let man, no man say that when, when he is tempted, that he is tempted of God. Now, 
We just read in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. In fact, what happened was, the reason I'm talking about this is uh, Monday morning, last Monday morning, <clears throat> I got an email from someone. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who because it's not important. But they, they, they questioned. They said, they said, Pastor, you said that... that <clears throat> um, <coughs> excuse me. In fact, I'll read the exact quote that I said last week. Satan uses temptations to bring out the worst in us, but God, uh, uh, but trials are used by God to bring out the best in us. That's and she quoted me, and and she asked the question. But it says in Genesis chapter twenty-two, verse one, that God tempts us. But so it sounds like a contradiction, does it not? Hello, wake up. Okay. <clears throat> so. I went on to explain, and I and I felt like I needed to further this explanation this morning. <clears throat> In Genesis chapter 22, the word tempt literally means to put to the test with the intention to strengthen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. In James chapter 1, the word tempted literally means to entice someone to sin with the intention of causing them to fall. So what, he's, what, what the Bible is saying, is God will bring tests into our lives to strengthen us. And that was what he was doing with Abraham. What he will not do is tempt us with evil. He will not dangle a carrot in front of us to get us to go down a road where we will fall into sin. God will not do that. That is Satan. So it's 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 now. <clears throat> is there a fine line between trials and temptations? There there can be yes. Sometimes it's a very obvious line, and then sometimes it's a little hard because Satan wants to blur that line as much as possible. <clears throat> so set, let me let me requote what I quoted last week. Satan uses temptations to bring out the worst in us. But trials are used by God to bring out the best in us. I also said this, temptations seem logical. And I use these examples. Go ahead and eat the fruit. Where does that come from? <laughs> from, from the Garden of Eden. It's logical. <clears throat> the, the the temptation seems logical. Go ahead and eat the fruit. What does Satan tell us? Oh, go ahead and have a good time. You're not going to hurt anybody else. See, the arguments, the temptations sound logical. <clears throat> the tests seem unreasonable. God, what, what seems reasonable about taking your son up onto a mountain and sacrificing him? That, that does not seem reasonable, does it? But see, it's those trials that God brings into our lives that, that, that strengthen us that don't seem reasonable. What did he say to his disciples? Forsake everything and follow me. That doesn't make any sense. But how am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? See, it takes faith to say, 
I'm just going to trust. That's illogical. How many times in our lives has God presented us with things in our lives where we say to ourselves, that doesn't make sense. Exactly. See, that's the easiest way to describe the line between the two. Let's let's read again in in (coughs) Genesis chapter 22. Start reading in verse 1 again. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee unto the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering uh, upon one of the mountains which I will show thee. And Abraham arose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took uh, two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. And on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto, unto his young men, Abide here, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I am so very thankful and grateful for your love, for the work that you do in, in our lives. I, I do ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning and help us to see the active faith that Abraham had. Help us, dear God, to have that kind of faith. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Not every difficult experience that comes into your life is necessarily a test from God. Sometimes life just happens. But I, I, I believe that God can use every difficult experience in our lives as a good thing. Point one from last week was, the, uh, uh, was expect testing. Testing is just, it's, it, it is part of being in the school of faith. God's testings are tailor-made just for you and me. See, the, the reality is this. God knows exactly what you need. And he knows exactly what I need. And what I need to grow to be more like him is different than what you need to grow and to be more like him. And God will use... <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and God will use these tailor-made tests in our lives to get us where we need to be. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son uh, whom he receiveth, uh, if he endure chastening. God dealeth with you as, uh, as uh, with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? And the word chasteneth there literally means to instruct, to um, hold on, uh, uh, to train or to educate, but it also means to discipline. The, 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 the concept here is the fact that God would not bring testing into our lives uh, for no reason. He does it because he loves us. 
The second point we talked about last week is focus on the promises, not the expectation or the explanations. Focus on the promises, not the explanations. A promise from God is a statement we can depend on absolutely. The Bible is full of promises, and we talked about several of those last week. Warren Risby said this, Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible. Consider, if you would, the unreasonable request of God to Abraham. Here it was, his only son. The nation of Israel was dependent on the survival of Isaac because God had promised previously that uh, that he would use Isaac to father the nation of Israel, what, what would become Israel. So a lot of these things are going has to be going through the mind of, of uh, Abraham and Isaac as the events of, of this all unfold. Abraham had the ability to focus on the promises that God had given. In, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that uh, I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be blessed. See, Abraham learned to trust in the promises of God. We see that probably most visibly in verse 5, which we talked about last week as well. Verse 5, it says, And Abram said to the young, Abraham said unto the young man, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come to you, uh, come again to you. So Abraham knew. He didn't know how. He, he, he didn't know how it was going to happen, but Abraham believed the promises of God, and he believed that he and Isaac would return. How all that was going to shake out, they, they had no clue. He had no clue, but he stood on the promises of God. Now, Point number three. This is this is this is all new stuff from here on out. <laughs> number three. Depend on God's provision. Depend on God's provision. Let's read in verse six. <clears throat> and Abraham took the wood and of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to a place where God had told him, and Abraham built the, built an altar there and laid the wood uh, in in order. 
and bound Isaac his son and laid him on an altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord uh, called unto him out out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon thy son, thy, thy lad, neither uh, do thou anything to him. For, <clears throat> for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou uh, hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, uh, behind him a ram caught in a thicket, by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up uh, for an offering uh, in the stead of his son and Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh as it is said to this day uh, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen let's pray dear heavenly father I want to thank you again for this day and I want to thank you for this wonderful picture of of love and faithfulness and lord i ask as we look at this this morning that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us to see to learn how to apply these principles in our lives we love you and we thank you it's in christ's name we pray amen there are two statements here that i believe reveals the emphasis of this passage the first one we see is in verse 8. <clears throat> let's, let's look at verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, and this is it, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. <clears throat> in verse 13, we see that God provided a ram. Now, I don't know if you realize this, I mean, I'm a city kid. I grew up in L.A., okay? But I know there's a big difference between a lamb and a ram, okay? I mean, just saying. <clears throat> See, <clears throat> Abraham sees the, sees the ram caught in the thicket, unties his son, goes against the ram, sacrifices the ram in place of Isaac, his son. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I find it interesting that Abraham told Isaac that God will provide himself a lamb. He doesn't, he doesn't say that God will provide himself a sacrifice, but he uses the word lamb. And centuries later, that statement would come true. When John the Baptist would stand and declare, Behold, the Lamb of God. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John, John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the whole world. I believe with all of my heart the day that Abraham said that to Isaac, he was referring to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. It was a prophetic statement. He was not speaking uh, of that day, but he was trusting in the promises that God would somehow 
take care of the situation because God had promised him that Isaac would be the father of a great nation. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but he looks at his son and he speaks prophetically and he says, there will be a lamb one day. And then he also inserts another word that is incredibly telling. He uses the word himself. He does not say, God will provide a lamb. He uses the phrase, God will provide himself a lamb. Has to be a prophetic statement. What an incredible promise. What an incredible provision that God put in place at the beginning of creation for you and for me for Isaac and for Abraham, for everybody who has trusted in that lamb. In the Old Testament, they trusted. Occasionally, I get asked the question, how did people get saved in the Old Testament? The answer to that question is really, really simple. Have you ever thought that? The, The answer to that question is really simple. We believe... And we get saved in what Christ did on the cross. Does that make sense? Okay. The Old Testament, instead of looking back to the cross, they looked forward to the cross. They got saved the same way we do. In the blood of Christ. They were just looking forward to the Lamb of God where we are looking backward to what Christ did. They were looking at what Christ was going to do. And when John the Baptist declared, Behold, the Lamb of God. What was he saying? The Lamb is here. What do we do when our situations, our circumstances seem hopeless to ourselves. I was speaking with someone <clears throat> recently and it, it, and as this person was talking to me, it, it was just one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. And my, as, he was, as he was sharing the burdens that, that God has put in his life and some of them God has put there and I believe Satan has put some of the others and all of this stuff and, and it, it can be so overwhelming at times, can it not? It, it, to the point where we, we can just throw our hands up and say, what's the use? I can't, I can't do this anymore. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. Is there anything too hard for God? No. But what happens when all of this stuff comes piling in and the circumstances of life are just bearing down on us to a point where we can almost not even breathe? What happens? We allow the circumstances to control our thinking and not the promises of God. See, the promises of God, well, let let me put it to you this way. Abraham and Sarah failed the test of trusting God. Did they not? Genesis chapter 18, 
<clears throat> verses 13 and 14. And, and the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Well, what was she laughing at? She was laughing at the fact that she was going to become pregnant. She was 90 years old. I mean, no offense, but that'd be like Rosemary having a baby. I'm just, you know, I'm like, she's not here today because she's still not been feeling well. 90 years old. I, I, if you were 90 and you found out you're pregnant, what would you do other than cry? <laughs> yeah, suicide, baby. <laughs> you know, she was laughing and, and I don't blame her. I would, I would, I, yeah. Saying, I, shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? I'm surprised she didn't do more than laugh, you know? Then it, then comes the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according <clears throat> to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Ninety years old. Abraham was a hundred. I can't imagine. I mean, I get around, I'm, I'm 57, 58. How old? 57? 58. I'm 58. Man, I must be 68. I don't know. <clears throat> 58 years old. I get, hey, I'm around my grandkids for about an hour. Guess what? I'm ready for a nap. And Abraham's twice as old as me. Can you imagine? I, I can't, I, it's beyond me. Is there anything too hard for God? No. And when the life circumstances of life come crashing in one after another. We how, how many times, honestly, have you ever felt like Job? <laughs> We've all been there. It's like, okay, what else? You know, I mean, come on. What's next? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The second passage, or the, the second statement in, in, in the, the verses that we read a few minutes ago that I believe emphasize this passage we see in verse 14. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh literally means the Lord will provide the Lord will provide. Who or what was Abraham trusting in? He was trusting in God and, and the promises of God. <clears throat> he certainly was not dependent on his own abilities or his, his, own, his own emotions. He couldn't have been. <clears throat> Had, again, can you imagine the walk that Abraham and Isaac were making up the hill? Abraham had to have been thinking about the fact, I love my son. 
I love my son. I do not want to do this. But I love God too. And I want to be obedient to God. And can you imagine the turmoil that's taking place in his life? And what about Isaac? You know, Isaac's like, I don't want to be a French fry. You know, I don't want to do this. They were trusting in the promises. There are times that the struggle of life, we face our struggles all alone at times. There are times that family, church friends, Christians from all over the place, uh, I I literally have, have Christian friends that live all over the world that I know pray for me and that I can reach out to in times of need. But there are times that I need to do it just God and me. Recently, there was such a situation. And I've, I've told you all this. I'm never telling you where it's at, but out in the desert somewhere is a hill. It's my hill. And that's where I go and I cry and I talk to God. And I remember not too long ago sitting on top of that hill, <clears throat> crying out to God and, say, and, and really not saying hardly anything because there was nothing I could say. God, God knew my heart and what was going on in my heart. It was just me and him. And the struggle was real. And the fight was going on in my heart, in my life. I can't imagine... I cannot imagine what was going on in Abraham's mind. But Abraham learned to trust. I found a statement in the New Testament, uh, particularly in the book of Romans. Paul was reflecting on the life of Moses when he wrote this following passage. Romans chapter 4, verses 19 to 21 says, And being not weak in faith, he, being Abraham, considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of his uh, of Sarah's womb. <clears throat> she staggered or, or, or didn't vacillate. The word stagger there means not, uh, didn't... <clears throat> She staggered not means that she didn't vacillate. She laughed, but she didn't vacillate. She didn't, she didn't go through this, this, this turmoil. Once the reality hit her and, and sunk in, she accepted it. He, or, or, excuse me, he, excuse me. I, I said Sarah, I meant, I meant Abraham. Uh, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. It, it, Unbelief was never a part of the equation. But was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. He had to have been talking about the walk up that mountain. He had to have been talking about, uh, when I say he, Paul uh, when he was referring to Abraham, had to be referring to the fact that, that Abraham 
did not vacillate in his, in his belief that God would do a miracle. Somehow, some way, God was going to do a miracle because he trusted in the promises of God. And see, vacillation comes into our lives when we question the promises of God. See, that's when, that's when the vacillation comes in. That's when Satan whispers in our ear, oh, he really didn't mean it that way. See, that's when the questioning comes in and the doubt and, and, and all of the, the questionable results come in when we vacillate. I have a question for you. This is going to be kind of obvious, but I want you to think about it. Where does God provide our needs? The answer is in the place where God wants us to be. Think about this. God did not provide the ram until Isaac was on the altar where he was where he needed him to be. Could God have provided the ram halfway up the mountain? Absolutely. But he had to be where God wanted him to be. Now, it gets even more difficult than that. Another question, which is more important. When does God provide for our needs? In his time, not ours. At the very moment when Abraham had the knife in his hand and he was getting ready to plunge it into his son. God said, the angel said, no, stop. See, and oftentimes we go to God with a list of things and we say, okay, God, this is my timetable. Now you need to fit your schedule into my schedule. And you need to provide as I want, not as you want. And there are times when the testings come into our lives and God says, no, we do things on my timetable, not yours. I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I like my timetable a whole lot. I I remember one time, I, I don't remember what it was, a long, long time ago, but there was something going on in my life and I literally had dates, times, places where I expected and wanted God to answer every one of these things. I, I can't help but God think laughing at me. I think, are you serious? See, God answers just in time and not a minute sooner. Amen. Abraham and Isaac saw God's provision not only because they were supposed where they not not only because they were where they were supposed to be, but also because they were patient and willing to wait on God. Sometimes that's our biggest struggle. God is never late. Let me say that again, and 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 I don't normally do this, but I want you to repeat this with me. God is never late. Ready? God is never late. Let's say it again. God is never late. Okay? He may be 
He may be late for us, but he is never late. Hebrews chapter 16, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in, to help when? In time of need. See, when did Abraham need God to intervene? Right here. In time of need. In time of need. But what happens? I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, prayer doesn't work. And, and I'm, whenever somebody says that to me, I, I just kind of shudder and I think, okay, what happened? And, and they'll say, well, I prayed. And God did not answer. I said, okay, well, how many times? Well, just once. Okay. And how did you pray? And, and it, you know, and, and, and the, the whole thing boils down to the fact that if, if, if God does not perform on our schedule and our timetable, then we get mad at God. But I'm sorry to tell you this. He's God. We're not. He knows what we need and when we need it. We don't. Number four. Number three, depend on God's uh, provision. Number four, <clears throat> the act of obedience. We're almost done. <clears throat> the act of obedience. And, and, and please get this, because this is, this is really critical to the story here. There are two people in our story, Abraham and Isaac. Is there not? We tend to focus on Abraham. And, and, and I believe rightfully so. But Isaac is just as obedient as Abraham. Now, I remember when my kids were in Sunday school. I did not grow up going to Sunday school, so I don't know this personally other than what I saw my kids bring home from Sunday school. The church that we went to, they would bring home these little papers with coloring things and stuff. And Isaac was always a little guy. Well, that's not true. Isaac, every theologian I believe have read believes that Isaac was anywhere from 15 to 25 years old. More than likely in his early 20s. So Abraham would have been how old? 120, 115, 125 years old. Do you think somebody in his early 20s could overpower a man that's 120 years old. Yeah. <laughs> really easily. But I, I, Isaac was obedient. I find that the obedience of Isaac is almost as, as, as impressive as the obedience of Abraham. Because I don't know about you, but I, I don't know that I could lay there and take that. <laughs> Just saying, I, I don't know. But what an incredible demonstration of faith by father and son. Abraham obviously did something right in the raising of Isaac. See, Abraham, and, and get this because this is important. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son. 
But God did sacrifice his only son. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, the picture is this. Abraham was willing, but God did it. Isaac was willing to be sacrificed. He was willing, but Jesus Christ gave his life. You see the parallel here? It's, to me, it's incredible. Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself. What was, what was Isaac willing to do? Willing, Isaac was willing to give himself. But Jesus Christ gave himself. That he might redeem them, uh, uh, redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself, a, a peculiar people, <clears throat> zealous to good works. I cannot read this story. I cannot read the story without <clears throat> picturing the love of a father and a son willing to do the will of God. But I cannot read the story without seeing an, an eternal father and son willing to fulfill the story. Amen. The act of obedience. You know, the school of faith that we are all enrolled in. Let me read this again so that there's no question. Satan uses temptations to bring out the worst in us, but trials are used by God to bring out the best in us. Temptations seem logical. Go ahead and eat the fruit. Do what makes you feel good. Be happy. Follow your heart. That's about the stupidest advice anybody could give. Just saying. Okay? If you ever are helping a friend through a hard time and you tell them to follow their heart, that's really bad advice. Because the Bible says what? The heart is deceitful and, and wicked. We don't want to follow our hearts. Quit watching Hallmark. Okay? Just saying. <laughs> Tests seem unreasonable. Why would Abraham and Isaac be willing to do what they did? Because they love God. But it seems unreasonable. Why did the disciples forsake everything and follow Jesus Christ? Again, it seems unreasonable. Why does God want you to live for Him? Why does God want you in your life to forfeit certain things and do certain things. You know, I'm just being honest here. It is illogical that anybody would come to church on Sunday morning, especially on Super Bowl Sunday. Now, I personally think, well, I won't go there. I, I won't go there. Where's your faith this morning? The reality is this. God has 
given us his provision, his promises, his plan, and his peace. If we will anchor our lives in Jesus Christ, these promises can be for each and every one of us, just as it was for Abraham and Isaac. But it's going to be us anchoring ourselves in Jesus Christ. What's your anchor look like this morning? What's your faith look like this morning? Are you, are you trusting in Jesus Christ or are you trusting in your own abilities? Are you trusting in people around you or are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day.